Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 782. All right, here's a quote. I believe that if a man wanted to walk on water and was prepared to give up everything else in life, he could do it. He could walk on water. I'm serious. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, AJ Bame. Hey, AJ, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Mark, I got a five-point harness on and a helmet on, ready to go. <laughs> All right, cool. I love it when my guests show up ready, so I'm excited. A.J. Bame is a New York Times best-selling author, an award-winning journalist, a public speaker, and occasional on-screen personality. His books include The Arsenal of Democracy, FDR, Detroit, and An Epic Quest to Arm an America at War, and Go Like Hell, Ford, Ferrari, and Their Battle for Speed and Glory at Le Mans. Both of these books are highly recommended by past guests here, I'll add. In fact, Go Like Hell is one of the most recommended books that I uh, have my guests recommend here, so I think it's pretty cool that you're here today. Both books are critically acclaimed and in development for major motion pictures. That is very cool. AJ writes for a multitude of magazines, including Road and Track, and he's a regular contributor to the Wall Street Journal. He's appeared on numerous TV stations and shows, including our friend Jay Leno's Garage, and as a host and race car driver in online documentary pieces. So, AJ, I have told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you and your past. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? I would love to. And again, thank you for having me. So, um, I, probably most of the people that are listening to this right now have a, a eureka moment like me where you, you were a kid and something happened in your life where you fell in love with automobiles. I know we might touch on this later in the show, so I'm just going to drop this in there. I had one of those eureka moments as a kid. Cool. I was into cars and I was into books. Those are my two things and in sports too. So those three things. And as I, um, I grew up, there was I, a lot of your listeners probably also had a time in their late teens and early 20s where they had absolutely no money. <laughs> and being a car enthusiast is a very difficult thing to be when you have no cash. Yep. So I, I was living in New York City, and um, I sort of lost the whole automobile thing in my life because I was trying to make it in journalism. And uh, one day I got this dream job at Playboy magazine, uh, and I got this job to be an editor there. And one of the things I got to do was I wanted to do and I begged to do was to be the automotive editor – at the magazine. And so this amazing thing happened. I guess I would, geez, I don't even know what, how old I was. It was late 20. I was probably 30 years old. So I got to work with all these amazing writers and I started going on press trips and I really reconnected with all the love I had for cars when I was a kid. And then, um, I, I started, uh, I w always wanted to write books. So I had another Eureka moment and another Eureka moment and another Eureka <laughs> moment. And here I was driving all these wonderful cars, driving press cars and having Porsches delivered to my house every day. I mean, every week and writing these books about cars. And, and again, we'll touch on them later. So I don't want to get too deep into it, but it's been a dream ride. So, and I just, I'm so very thankful. So here I am just finished my fourth book. I'm no longer a magazine editor, but I'm still driving wonderful cars all the time and writing about them. And it's just, a, it's such a thrill. 
Well, I can't imagine being a young guy wishing he had cool cars, living in New York City, and then having Marks pull up in front of your house every week saying, here's a key, kiddo, tell us what you think. So uh, talk about a dream come true. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to learn a lot more about you, about the books, about this new book, of course. But first, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, AJ, take the wheel. All right, here's a quote. I believe that if a man wanted to walk on water and was prepared to give up everything else in life, he could do it. He could walk on water. I'm serious. Whoa. Mark, and, I, and I'll ask you, do you know who said that? I'll give you a hint. It was a race car driver. Oh, man. Now you're embarrassing me. I don't. <laughs> I've not heard that. That was Sterling Moss in the early 1960s. Oh. I believe that if a man wanted to walk on water and was prepared to give up everything else in life, he could do it. He could walk on water. I'm serious. That oh. was Sterling Moss, a great hero of mine. Wow. Wow. I've not heard that before. That is very cool. Well, how have you incorporated the concept of that quote into what you're doing? Can you walk on water? I'm doing it right now, Mark. I'm walking <laughs> on water. Actually, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sitting in my office, and, and if I may say so on the air, I'm having a martini because it's it's late at night here in, in California. So I, that's my form of walking on water because the driving today is done. Yes. But uh, I love that quote because it says so much about race car driving or any passion that you have in your life, whether it's about cars, sports politics, any goal that you want to achieve that says so much about how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you really, really want to do it, you'll figure out a way. That's my takeaway. Exactly. Fantastic. Great. Well, would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment when you think back on your life? And you kind of talked about that a little bit in the intro when you knew and you indeed were going to be a car guy. Absolutely. So uh, this is a shout out to my uncle, Bob Bame, my father's brother. We always went to his house uh, on holidays, Thanksgiving, these kinds of things. And um, he had this barn and also a garage. So the barn was separated from the house. It was a beautiful house in the woods. And we always uh, I loved my cousins and we always had these wonderful parties there. And he had these cool cars in his garage. And I was just a little kid. You know, I'm six, I'm seven, I'm eight years old. And um, he had a 1978 black uh, Corvette with side mufflers. And I remember over the years, he drove it so much that the, the floorboards rusted out. <laughs> so you could, you could actually look down. If you're sitting in the car, you could, you could do a Fred Flintstone and put your feet on the ground, mm. you know, and, and move along. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had a brown Porsche 911. I think it was chocolate brown, but I'm not sure. He'll correct me, I'm sure, when he listens. <laughs> and then um, – in his barn, he had two uh, Di Tommaso Panteras, and I remember I would go in there, and I would sit in those leather seats, and it was a very different experience than sitting in any other kind of car you can imagine, because mm. when you're sitting in this car, it's almost like you're lying down. You're so, you're so low to the ground, it's like being in a race car, and I'd never experienced anything like that. I never got to drive it. I never actually even got to hear the engine, but just sitting in this Pantera, that's, that was sort of like the light bulb moment for me where I, I became a car guy. Well, yeah, you know, it's so cool 
There's a guest I've had on the show here, Dwight T. Knowlton, who's written some great books about barn finds and kids and dads building cars together. He has a new book coming out soon about a Porsche Speedster, but your story kind of reminds me of him. And of course, the Panteras, one of my longtime sponsors here, and he's also been a guest, is Chris Kimball, and he's a financial advisor. He has a Pantera. I think what I should do is send him down to your house so you can have a ride finally in that Pantera. I think that... uh, I think you'd put a big smile on your face because those things are cool. That would be an amazing experience because the funny thing is I've had so many wonderful – I've driven a lot of cars. And when I come to think of it, now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever actually been driven a Pantera ever. Well, it's a wonderful marriage of Italian design and U.S. engine, you know, the big horsepower engine. So it's kind of like the Cobra in a sense about the combining of the power, the horsepower, and the beautiful lines of the car. So uh, we'll see if we can set that up for you. I think that uh, it's time for you to get into a Pantera. So Chris, shout out to you. I know he's always listening, so he's smiling right now. So AJ, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a big failure that you face along the way. You've chosen a very challenging career path here. Of course, journalism, but then writing books for a living. Oh, my gosh. So take us to that one time that was really challenging for you. Kind of walk us through that and then tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your business and your career. Okay. I appreciate the question. I will take you to a place where you might not expect. And okay. that is, it's a, it has very little to do with cars, actually. So... As I speak to you, I wrote these two books, Go Like Hell and The Arsenal of Democracy. They are these two epic stories that take place. They're not about cars. They're a, they take place inside the car industry. At, at the end of that last book, I sort of took a chance. And there's a lot of listeners out there who, who have had moments where they said, I have a dream. I'm going to do something different. I've always had this passion to do something in my life. And so uh, I moved out to California and, and I live in the woods and, and I'm in my office now in my house. And I just finished a new book and I literally finished it this week, like finished, finished, like I can't make any more. Wow. Wow. And it it doesn't have that much to do with with cars. But what I want to say is when people do do this, you know, they follow this kind of dream. There's this sort of moment of of where you're standing on the edge of a cliff and you're looking down and you're wearing a parachute (laughs) and you have to decide like, am I going to step off this thing? Is this parachute when I push the button? Is the parachute going to come out of the pack? Mm. That's sort of where I'm at as of this week. And it's been an extraordinary moment. When you write a book, you spend thousands and thousands of hours alone, thousands of hours by yourself. And the things around you change. You, You find your relationships start to suffer. You look at your wife and she gets mad at you because she's talking for minutes and minutes. And she says, all of a sudden you you realize you're not listening to her at all. Your marriage suffers. Mm. All of these relationships, excuse me, suffer around you because you're so deep in, in this narrative that you're trying to construct. It's very similar, I think, to what it would be to be a professional race car driver. Everything in your life starts to fall away. And then you come out at the other end and you try to re-engage with society. And here you have this book in your hands and you say to yourself, geez, I hope this goes well. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a very interesting concept here because you've got a couple of things playing with us here. One is this concept of you work so hard at something and you present it and you hope the world accepts it. And the other is why you're doing all this. You've got this family relationship and friend relationship thing happening that could be falling all apart. So when you combine those two things, what's your takeaway on how do you recover from this? Maybe I'm using the wrong words, but I think you know what I mean. 
I, I do. I know what you mean. And you know what? You walk out and you say sorry to the and you re-engage with all the things that you love outside and, you know, reignite all the passions that you have outside of that and try to, you know, try not to think about what you're, all the other things that could happen. You just try to be, you know, positive. It's, I think it's like anybody who's, you know, thrown more than they could afford in the, in the stock market yeah. or more than they can afford on a craps table. Emotionally, it feels like that. And so you go through this experience and just sort of hope that the dice are going to go your way. Yeah. Well, congratulations on finishing this new book. We're going to talk about that in a few moments because I want to hear a little bit, at least what you can share about it. I appreciate you taking us to those uh, challenging times. I can only imagine because a lot of people that are self-employed that do think kind of like what I'm doing here with podcasting. Many times I'm sitting here all by myself, me, the computer, the microphone, and that's it. And so, uh, yeah, you feel like you kind of become this isolated person. You're trying to focus so hard and you got to sometimes step away, come up and breathe a little bit. So, whoo. Okay. Well, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. Now you talked about some of those aha moments in the introduction, but tell us about one that had great meaning for you. Well, uh, it was years ago and, um, I knew I wanted to, I want to, I want to sort of switch my speaking away from myself into stuff that I think that people would be really interested in. So I'll sort of segue, I use this story as a segue. Uh, I was working uh, at a desk job in a cubicle in Manhattan and I just wanted to be more engaged with cars and being able to be, you know, to write about cars and not, and not do other things. And so my idea was to write this book about, uh, Ford against Ferrari. That was my idea. And people said, geez, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. Everybody's, there's tons of books have been written about, you know, the, the great Ford Ferrari rivalries in the 1960s. And I, I thought at the time to my, to myself, I thought, well, nobody had written about, you know, this book. Nobody had written the epic, epic story and with all the characters and what their stories were and who, 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 what everybody had at stake. And so I guess the takeaway of what I'm trying to say is, what an amazing story and what, what extraordinary people these people were. Can you imagine? I don't know, Mark, how old, I don't know how old you are. Or whether well, you I'm 59. So when this was happening, I was a little wee little child. But the, the legacy of this story, if you're a car guy, and I've been a car guy since I was born, basically, has just lived on. But I'll tell the, the listeners who have not read your book, and I think everybody who probably listens has, but if you have not... The way that you did this, and you mentioned it yourself, you tied the personalities into this. It's almost like every paragraph, you kind of knew what was coming next with every chapter, I should say. But then, oh, that was going on? Oh, that guy was doing that, or that car was doing that? So I'll let you jump back in here, but you did that. I mean, you really did. You took it to a different place than all the stories I had read before. Well, I appreciate it. What I really wanted to bring to life is what all of these people had at stake. You know, like when you're talking about these race car drivers like Dan Gurney and, and, you know, a rookie named Andretti, he was a rookie. What they had at stake, they had dreams, they had passions. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when you read about races, you read who won, but you don't read about what was going on in that person's life at the time. And these people at this time, I mean, the 1960s is a very famous era for a reason. There's so much going on there that had never been done in music. All of these musicians were doing things that had never been done in politics, in space travel, in aviation, and also in race car driving and car building. That's why I think that's why people who own cars from the 1960s, why they're worth billions of dollars or whatever, because 
people were able to do things that had never been done. It's hard to do things today that had never been done, don't you think, Mark? Well, yeah, definitely. And one person that comes to mind is a recent past guest, Jim Glickenhaus, who's been on this show, is basically a privateer taking cars to events like Le Mans and the Nürburgring and putting his cars on the pole. Here's a guy that's, they're building, designing and building their own cars. He's kind of doing it in that respect. But I, I hear what you're saying. Back then, everything was kind of wide open. Now it seems like things are more controlled and they have all these rules and regulations. Back then, it was a wide open palette for these designers. And you're right for the designers. You think about Mario Dreddy, how young he was back then, or Phil Hill, or I mean, all the guys racing back then. Bill Hill in particular, I mean, to be able to write about him, and I interviewed him twice. He was old, and he was not doing well with his health. So I, I'll go ahead and say that it, my interviews weren't terrific with him, but they were pretty good. But there had been enough around to, just to be able to explore the conflict of his character. Bill Hill was such an extraordinary person. He was just a dream character to write about for, for a gazillion reasons. By the way, um, I, I do I write this weekly column for the Wall Street Journal about it's called My Ride. It's just about interesting people who own interesting cars. And I had Jim Glickenhaus in there about two months. Okay, what a fascinating person! Uh, yeah. What a fascinating person! And and what he's doing, he raced this weekend and did pretty well in, yes. at the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is an incredible person. And I had um, Phil's son, Derek Hill, as a guest here on the show. I was so fortunate. I met Phil back, oh gosh, this was 15 plus years ago when he was still able to jump into a car and drive. I was racing vintage cars and he came over, introduced himself. We talked about his early days. He got to meet my son when he was a little boy. I have a great picture of them together. But yeah, Phil is an amazing person. Jim, of course, amazing person. I mean, but going back to the book and an aha moment, was there one when you were putting this whole thing together that you went, oh, my gosh? Absolutely. And um, I remember showing up for work one day. Uh, I worked with this wonderful woman named Amy Lloyd. She became a wonderful novelist, just an extraordinary woman. And we used to have lunch every day. And I remember sitting with her at lunch every day. And I, I, I was like, I, I saw in my head how to write. This go like hell book, how to tell the story of the Ford Ferrari Wars in a way that never had been told and sort of, as sort of the sweeping epic story. It was like Star Warrior's Star Warsian, if, if you will. <laughs> you know, I mean, if it, it was a Shakespearean story. You have these all of these characters. And I remember sitting there and saying, listen to this list of characters. Let, imagine if you had a Shakespeare play. And these are the characters. Phil Hill, Mario Andretti, A.J. Foyt, Lee Iacocca. Oh, but wait, the main characters would be. Henry Ford II and Enzo Ferrari. Mm. But then you've got Dan Gurney. Then you've got John Surtees, who still to this day is the only man to ever win a Grand Prix World Championships on two wheels and four. And what made it so Shakespearean to me at the time, well, still, is the whole idea of like these were – I mean people talk about the Ford-Ferrari wars, but they were wars. People died. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's absolutely spectacular, and I remind those listeners out there: if you've not read this book and you're a car person, you have to have it on your library shelf because it's basically mandatory in my world here. Well, what a fun thing! We're going to move forward here, but I love the fact that you compare this to Shakespeare because it does have all the love, tragedy, triumphs, glory, death, life, all those things mixed in. It really is phenomenal. Let's talk about a proudest career a moment. I would assume you've had many. You've written award-winning books, bestseller books, some movies in the future here. Is there one moment that really stands out for you as your proudest? 
Mark, I appreciate you asking that question. I, and I have a story, and I'll tell it. The book I wrote after Go Like Hell is called The Arsenal of Democracy. And it's about – basically it's about how the American car industry won for World War II and uh, deeply researched. It took me years to research and write. But there's very controversial stuff in there, and, and I'm going to choose. I'm going to go slow and choose my words carefully because it's so controversial. When, in the late 1930s, uh, when World War II started, it was like creeping up, and then you've got 1939, September 1st, Hitler invades Poland. The United States was in a Great Depression. Things were really hard, very difficult on the automobile industry. And a lot of these major Detroit car people, and they, they, they were family companies, they invested a tremendous amount of time in Nazi Germany and uh, uh, money in Nazi Germany because Nazi Germany was the only place where money was being made. And so uh, these people, they, they invested a lot of the money during the 1930s before the proverbial bleep hit the fan. Mm-hmm. And so the book is really about how the Detroit car companies won won World War II, but at the same time, there's some tricky stuff in there, and it's very factual and very deeply researched book about what really happened, and it's it's very far from an indictment. It really is. It's no, There's no indictment of Detroit car guys or anything like that. We're really, and, you know, I'm just explaining what the facts were mm-hmm. through years of research. So the book, you know, there's some dark parts of it, and, and uh, but it was very embraced in Detroit, and I, I got to sign copies people ask me to sign these copies people whose names you recognize i'm not going to embarrass them by saying their names but they embraced the book and uh their families had a lot at stake in this book and they knew that it was factual and then and again it wasn't an indictment it was a book about how detroit car companies won world war ii but there was some tricky stuff in there and it was embraced in detroit in a way that i was hoping it would and when that happened it was a terrific experience and I would say that 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 was pretty much the crown. No doubt. And again, listeners, if you've not read this second book we're talking about here, definitely get your hands on it. I'll have links to these books on AJ's show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. If you love history, American history, and a really, really deep dive into what was happening back then with industry and how they influenced and how they helped change the face of history, uh, this is a book you want to read. Hey, let's have a little bit of fun here and talk about your first really special car. I know you got to drive a lot of really cool cars, but the first time you got a car that you were really excited about. It was a 1977 Toyota Corolla, and it was $200. I turned 17. I bought this car for, off a friend for 200 bucks. It was $200 for the car and $200 for the stereo. <laughs> so a total of four hundred dollars, and uh, everybody has that experience in their life when they turn seventeen. For me, it was seventeen because I lived at the time, and I grew up in New Jersey, where you get your your driver's license and you you become free. And this is great stuff I wrote about in Go Like Hell, where where Lee Iacocca is talking about the youth, youth generation. He sees what's about to happen in the nineteen sixties, the baby boomers, the the you know the largest population of people that ever in existence were about to turn. 16 or 17 and get their driver's licenses it is the great moment of your life when you become mobile and free so uh i bought this car for 200 bucks my parents called it the pumpkin the orange pumpkin because it was so orange <laughs> i like that the stereo costs as much as the car stereo costs as much as the car and i remember getting a, a job that summer as a floral delivery guy 
it's a horrible job. I made no money at all, but I was so psyched because I just got to hang out in my car and listen to music and drive around suburban New Jersey. It was so awesome. <laughs> I missed those days. It was, how about what, Mark, what was your car? You tell me. My first car was not that exciting, and my listeners have heard this before. It was a 67 Chevy Nova that my neighbor up the street who owned the local Chevy dealership came down to my parents and said, hey, you buying Mark a car for his 16th birthday? And my dad said, well, we told him we'd pitch in half of whatever he could raise. And so he took us down to the Chevy dealer. I thought, of course, we're going to be looking at Corvettes or Camaros, and we walk around the back of this little old lady car, four-door, small engine. But you know what? It had four doors. It had enough room on the top to put all of my friends' surfboards on. And uh, I was a little bit older than my friends, so I was the first guy to drive. So we called it the Mobile Wave. And uh, it took us to many beaches and down to Mexico surfing on the beach and stuff like that. So, yeah, the freedom. That's what it's all about. That's a terrific story. Yeah, very cool. Thank you, Mike Brown, for that, for the little old lady car, for sure. Well, how about Seller's Remorse? Is there a car that you wish you had back in your garage that you've owned? You know, no, uh, <laughs> there isn't because I, I've owned the same. I have this one car that I've had for many years that I love and it's such, it's, it's beat up, it's dented up and I, I'm going on an adventure in it tomorrow. I'm so excited. So I've always owned cars, people, journalists like me, it's, it, you know, maybe people know this or, or they don't, but we tend to drive a lot of press cars. So we get to drive really fancy cars and we get to drive on racetracks and, and do all that. And then most of us tend to have some beater. Some of us collect cars, some of us are, but for me, I just have a beater in my garage that I love. And my wife is always like, when are you going to get rid of that car? And I said, never, never. <laughs> the 2003 Subaru, we're, and I've driven this thing across the country from Detroit to California, from Chicago to New York a hundred times. So tomorrow we have an adventure together, me and this car. I'll never get rid of it. it it's, it's always my baby. There you go. Well, have fun tomorrow. Sounds like a great time. Well, let's talk a little bit about current projects. You said you just finished a book. What can you tell us about this book? What has you so excited and fired up about this project finally being finished? Uh, this book is called The Accidental President, and it has nothing to do with cars at all. It's the first big epic book I've written that doesn't have anything to do with cars, and it's about the first four months of the Truman administration it lives and breathes on two levels. One is it's a biographical portrait of a guy who becomes president at a critical moment in history by mistake. He becomes president by mistake at a critical moment in history. And then it's a biographical portrait of the World War II presidency of Harry Truman, that guy. And, and then the other part of it is it's a portrait of the four months that he's president, president during World War II where more historical stuff happens in this four months than you can possibly imagine. That has ever happened ever to this day in any four-month period. The collapse of Nazi Germany, uh, the founding of the United Nations, the firebombings of Tokyo, the, the execution of Benito Mussolini, uh, the first atomic explosion, the beginning of the Cold War, the first, you know, the the, the, the bombings of Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki. All this happens in, in four-month period. So that's, that's what the book is. It's called The Accidental President. And uh, October 24th is the day. Wow. Well, congratulations for that. Wow. Yeah, amazing time period in uh, history, for sure. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, AJ. If you were a car, what kind of car would AJ be and why? Well, I'll tell you, this is an interesting question, and I had to think about this one. If it's okay to tell your listeners, I you know, I, I had this question ahead of time, and I had a very t hard time identifying a car. Okay, good. 
you could be anything. If you could be anything, you could be, you know, a, you know, a super America from the sixties. You could be, you know, you could be a Pantera. You could be any one of the Corvette, Corvette Z06s. So recently I had this ama- amazing experience where I got to drive. This is geez, like a month ago, less than a month ago. I drove the new Ford GT, the new Ford GT. Oh road. man. Wow. And, uh, I was with Joey hand. I'm sure you, some of your listeners will know Joey hand. Joey hand won the 24 hours of Le Mans in class. Yep. And, uh, he happens to live not too far from where I live right now. Cool. Where he lives. And so I got to drive this car. And for me, somebody who's written so much about the GT and it, it so happens that I've, dri- I've got to test drive every road GT road car that has ever been. And this for me took, took, the cake. I mean, I, I was on a racetrack in Utah and it's such a unique car. And it's so the, the engineering is so extraordinary that to me, it just won my heart. I thought to myself, this is a very unique car. And there's a lot of, you know, some people say, well, it's not a V8. You know, it's an American supercar that's not a V8. It's a V6. But it's, all, you know, and then some people say, well, you can look at it and you don't see enough of the DNA of the original 1960s Ford GT. It's not that cool. And some people say, well, it's priced too high. It's, it's not a real American car because if it's, you know, it's priced so high that only, you know, Arabian princes could <laughs> afford it. Yeah. But to me, it was such an extraordinary experience to get to drive this car on a racetrack that to me, it's like, you know, and I've been I've been around a lot of cars and tracks, Aston Martins and Porsche GT3s, GT, every you know. Yeah, it won my. It was the car for me. Wow, is that at Miller Motorsport Park? Yes. Yeah. Wasn't. Yeah, great track. Wow, big track. A lot of driving time you get on that track, especially if they have the whole thing open. Well, it's great to hear that, and oh, I love that new car. I mean, when they came out with the the previous version, it was a tribute to the. GT40. This new car is something different, and I'm really happy to hear straight from the lips of a guy who's driven it on the track with somebody like that driver sitting next to you. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, let me interrupt you there. I'll tell you this. The 2005-2006 GT, I got to drive on I-80 through Nevada, and if anybody has ever driven through Nevada on I-80, it's insane because there's no, there's just nothing there. You can do it, it pretty much straight line speed. There's not a lot of cornering. Right. And there's no police bad people. And I'm not going to, you know, incriminate myself, <laughs> but I, I've moved fairly, fairly quickly. Yeah. This car is on a different level. It's just, um, it, it's just a, it's, it's that good. Yeah. And at the same time, one of the fascinating pieces of, the, of, of that experience was getting to drive the car. And I, I didn't know the track well, and I'd never been in the car. So I, I, I just didn't want to crash it. I didn't go nuts and I wasn't really pushing myself. But to get to enjoy the car and then switch seats and let Joey hand drive that car with me in the passenger seat and see what he could do with it. Right. It was just extraordinary. It was like superhuman, you know, both the car and the driver. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What an experience. What an experience. Very, very cool. Well, AJ, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories 
all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at com or connect with me through the Cars yeah website at com. All right, AJ, we are back and we're entering the last lap and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Drive. In a word, drive. If you're, Think of yourself wherever you want to go. Think of yourself on a road trip. You don't want to break down. Just keep trucking. Do whatever you got to do to get there. There you go. Now, would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Take care of yourself. Mm. Get your oil changed on time. Drink your spinach juice. (laughs) Yes. Great advice. Yeah. You know, that's really important because so many people get so involved with what they're doing, they forget that simple little thing. And my wife will remind me of that, you know. Well, you put the best oil in your car. Why don't you put the best food in your body? You exercise your car. Go exercise yourself. So uh, that's what happens when you marry a smart woman. Organic. Oh, believe me. Same here. Organic food. You know, take good care. Pump yourself full of, you know, the best fuel you can. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? You know, I thought about this and, and I'm, I had trouble with it. All I can say is that there's, we are really at a time, the media is such a tricky thing these days where the media is underfunded. But at the same time, if you look for it, the greatest journalism is going on right now in the car world, road and track, thedrive.com, which, you know, I work, I work a lot for thedrive.com. Fantastic material. Car and drive, you pick up all of the automotive media right now. It's the best that it's ever been. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you go to uh, the Cars yeah website, I'll remind our listeners, there's a section there 
called Resources, and I've broken my guests down into their categories that describe them. And authors and journals are the largest category I have. I have had some of the best writers, best journalists, greatest people that deliver awesome information for us car enthusiasts. So check that out. And of course, the great A.J. Bame today, too. So we got to mention you. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would it be? Instant, instant. It's so easy to answer that question. I would love to sit at lunch and probe Enzo Ferrari's mind. Mm. I would I would sit there. I've read so much about that guy and everything he said. Like He was just such a – he wasn't just a, an automotive mastermind. He was a philosopher. Everything that he had to say is fascinating to me. Uh, wouldn't that be nice? You could just walk across the street to the Cavalina restaurant there across from the factory and uh, spend a whole afternoon there eating pasta and drinking wine and talking to Enzo. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be about the best day of my life. <laughs> be pretty cool. Now, of course, this question is a book. And uh, what I'm going to have you do here, since you've written some awesome books, and I'm going to obviously list those and link those for our listeners to enjoy. But is there a book you read that you didn't write that you really enjoy that you'd like to share with us? Absolutely. So I, I love the books of um, Robert Daly. So uh, has that ever come up? Robert Daly was a... Um, his story is so interesting. In the early 1960s, he went over to um, Europe just to travel around like a lot of young people do when they're 18, 19, and he started filing stories. He just sort of, through a friend, was able to make a contact th through the New York Times right when road racing was hitting in America, and he was in Europe writing, you know, writing, and suddenly, so he's writing for the New York Times. His stories for the New York Times are fascinating. I mean, they're just so beautiful. And he got to know that's how I learned about Phil Hills through Robert Daly's stories about him. Just extraordinary. So he ended up writing a book called Cars at Speed and the Cruel Sport. They're just terrific books. Absolutely. Uh, another one that comes to mind, Prince of the City, Tainted Evidence, um, some great books that uh, that he's written for sure. So I, I appreciate you recommending those. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources AJ has been so kind to share on his show notes page at carsyeah.com. Just type AJ into the search bar. That page will pop up with links to all of these great references. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question will be a bit of a doozy. If you could only have one very cool collector car in your garage, but today I'm going to buy you anything you'd like. I'm going to get the big checkbook out, so don't worry about the cost, don't worry about the maintenance, but I want you to enjoy it and drive it. No garage queens here on Cars Yeah. What would that car for you be, and more importantly, why? That would be the GT40 that Ken Miles drove at Le Mans in 1966. And if you've read Go Like Hell, you'll know why. Ken Miles was supposed to win... He won the 24 hours of Daytona. He won the 12 hours of Sebring in 1966. He was leading the 24 hours of Le Mans. He had done a lot of the development work on the GT40 in 1966. And uh, he, you know, there was the photo finish. This is a lot. It would take me an hour to explain why, Mark. Yeah. But I think that a lot of people know, probably who are listening, who Ken Miles was and why that car is so important. So I saw this car recently at Miller Motorsport Park. And there it was. And I just looked at it and I just couldn't believe it. There was this 1966 GT, GT40. It's a priceless, priceless automobile. And the question is, if I had it in my possession, would I ever drive it? Would I, you know? And of course I would. Of course. Yeah, you have to. 
I mean, you have to. Yeah. Ken Miles, what a, a distinguished career. And I don't know how many people know this, but he actually raced motorcycle before he uh, joined. I think he was in the uh, British Army during World War II. And there was a really cool car that was up here in the Pacific Northwest that he raced called the Flying Shingle. That was a really funky one-off MG special car. Just a beautiful car that he drove. Ah, Ken Miles GT40. Man, you picked a cool one. That's going to take me some doing to rip that out of the owner's hands and get that into your garage. Oh, I can't my. even imagine what that would cost. I mean, what would it cost? Uh, it, a little bit, yeah. He raced some motorcycles, but he also drove tanks. I mean, geez, who I knows know. where the tanks are? And it, you know, and I know we where our time is up. Down in Barber at Barber Motorsport Park in Alabama, what a collection of John Surtees. And, you know, oh, yeah. Surtees passed away recently and uh, we miss him. And, and he still is such an extraordinary person, such an important person in motorsport and anything that that guy drove. But the 1964 Ferraris that he won the, the uh, Formula One world championship in those would also be top of my list yeah wow some nice nice machinery there well aj you have taken me on an awesome ride today i hope you've enjoyed that martini i know i've enjoyed this talk very very much even more than i would a martini and i've really enjoyed you sharing your stories this new book of yours is absolutely spectacular look forward to that being on the shelf soon and i want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the cars yeah listeners could you offer us one parting piece of guidance and wisdom before you rip off into the sunset in that Ken Miles GT40? All I can say is never give up. Never give up on your dreams. Go for them. Even if even if it doesn't work out the way you want it to, keep trucking, man. Keep trucking. And I, Mark, I so appreciate you having me. I really do. Oh, this was so much fun. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and follow along with what you're doing these days? Facebook.com. Slash AJ Bame, no periods. There we go. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything AJ has shared on his show notes page at carsyeah.com. He's the only AJ here, so he's easy to find. But of course, Bame, B A I M E is his last name. Type that in there and that page will pop right up. All right, AJ, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners on this uh, Memorial Day evening. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up! 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!